0: Hello, and welcome back to the T and Lee podcast. We're excited here to dive into the Western Conference. Timor, how's
1: it going? I'm feeling good. Jason Tatum is on an absolute roll right now, and Celtics Nation is feeling good. So I'm, I'm happy, and I'm glad to be doing this.
0: He really is rolling. He's rolling hard. Yeah, he looks very impressive. He can't seem to miss. He's really confident. It's, it's really impressive. He's budding in front of our eyes. Yeah, like a, like a sunflower. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. Uh, we can get into it here. So we're going to go through the top teams in the West, the real, you know, contenders as far as they're not all likely to win the West, but the top six or so teams here. Uh, so Timor, we'll start with the LA Lakers. They've been front runners all year. LeBron and AD have really been, you know, Healthy, one, and also working really hard and competing and battling every night, something we weren't sure that we were going to get, and it looks like we've gotten it so far. So for the Lakers, right now they are offensively scoring 113.4 points per game, so that is third in the NBA. Defensively, they are only giving up only 106.1 points per game. It just shows, you know, where the league is at. A lot more scoring nowadays. But I, you know, kind of painted that picture because one is third, one is fourth. They're pretty well balanced, uh, whether it's from LeBron and AD on offense or defensively, their size. Uh, they're the leading team in block shots in the NBA, whether it's Davis or Howard or even JaVale McGee. They're all getting in on the action. Uh, LeBron, he is shooting almost 50%. So, uh, a very efficient season for him offensively. He's also leading the league in assists at 10.6 assists, and then you went and found this, and this is pretty astounding. He's averaging 14.5 assists per 100 possessions, so he's really seeing the court. Thing just seems to be moving in slow motion for him. He's picking apart defenses left and right. Davis is shooting over 50% at 50.9, uh, His T E R is 28.1, which I just checked, and that's fourth in the NBA. LeBron's is sixth, I want to say, at 25.6. And then, as I mentioned, they're really dominating as far as defensively with their length. So Davis is leading that charge with 2.9 blocks. Per game, they have 124 total blocks. I'm sorry, he has 124 total blocks in the season, and they lead the league in blocks. As we kind of move forward and dissect that a little bit, leadership-wise, this is huge for AD, LeBron's leadership specifically. AD's been a little bit up and down you know, early in his career, But this year, AD has had someone to kind of hold him accountable. Not that he's always needed that, but it's really kept him a little steadier, I feel. Kind of reflecting back a little bit, last time AD was in the playoffs, he did lead his Pelicans team, I'd say a little bit undermanned Pelicans team, to an impressive sweep of the Trailblazers. But then they got run out by the very, very hot Golden State Warriors. Now he's back. Uh, We'll see, you know, what what this means for them moving into the playoffs, I guess. Timor, what are your thoughts on these impressive Lakers so far?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the story of the Lakers is LeBron James, who, with him being 35, but it's very impressive what he's doing at 35. Most, most players, when they reach into their late, their mid-30s, kind of really tail off, and LeBron just has been absolutely incredible. If not for Giannis, he'd probably be one of the leading MVP, the leading MVP candidate. So for the playoffs for these Lakers, you know, I think what everyone is rearing for is the series against the Clippers, where the Clippers, it seems like they have a bunch of guys who can guard LeBron. And the question will be, you know, who, uh, how will LeBron be able to step up? And for Anthony Davis, he's a great young player. He hasn't been in a lot of big game situations. You know, in that all-star game, he missed that first free throw to win the game. I know we shouldn't take that too seriously, but, you know, the pressure kind of got to him a little bit, and he missed it, but he made the second one. You know, the Lakers have been the best team in the West for a reason. And I, right now, would pick them to make the finals out of the West out of all these teams
0: Awesome. Yeah, that was actually one of my questions for you. And I'll kind of frame it in a maybe a slightly different way here in a minute, but I forgot to mention another thing. Dwight Howard has been a pleasant surprise. As far as people that are shooting at least four shots a game, so not a huge sample size, but enough that they're shooting at least four shots a game, he leaves the league in field goal percentage at 73%. So even though a lot of those are dunks and putbacks and alley-oops, he's at least involved in the offense and not just a big body out there. So that's significant for them. But the, the question I had for you is, Timor, at this point, are they the favorite in the West? Now, you kind of answered that, uh, but are they really the bona fide favorite? Is there an, any argument for anyone else at this point to be a favorite?
1: Yeah, sure. There's a big argument for the Clippers, and, you know, I think they are the favorite, but I think what really matters for this team, and this is an absolutely very serious point that I'm about to make here, is that as long as the Lakers don't have JaVale McGee and LeBron making frequent Appearances on Shaq and a the fool, then the Lakers will be in a good spot in the playoffs and be able to make a late, a late run. And I, I would say they are the favorite. They have the clear home court advantage over the Clippers if that is the matchup. And, you know, it'll be very interesting to see if they play in the second round because that is a possibility. So that'll be something to look out for. But for me, they are my favorite. But you could definitely make an argument for the Clippers. But the Lakers are my personal favorite. I I completely agree
0: with, you know, everything you're saying there. They've been impressive so far. Curious to see how they continue to hold up and everything, especially, you know, with a lot of older players. We'll move forward here to the other L.A. team, the L.A. Clippers. Now, my initial kind of thoughts associated with them right now is, oh, we're not really getting what we expected. They're really underachieving. I was actually just listening to Bill Simmons' podcast with Zach Lowe, And Zach Lowe said that they're actually 19 and 4 when they have both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. So I guess that, that is pretty impressive. The big thing is they have not had them both frequently. So might be something we kind of discuss a little bit here, but can they stay healthy? Are we going to get the best version of them? I don't know, but breaking them down a little bit. They are a team that has a lot of gritty players, you know, from Pat Beverly to Montrez, Montrezel, Harrell, Montrez, Harrell. (laughs) Lou Williams isn't really gritty, but, you know, he's fairly hard-nosed. And then, obviously, Kawhi and Paul George can be great defenders. But despite all that, they're giving up 110 points a game and actually are 14th in points given up. So a team that is gritty and tough and you think no matter who's on the court should be able to, you know, still have that tough-minded approach and keep teams from scoring is not doing that. I guess that raises a little bit of a red flag for me because – to me, that shows that there's something else going on. Maybe there—I don't know if Doc Rivers and the team there's any rifts in the locker room. I feel like Kawhi seems to be a little bit more frustrated than I've ever seen him. So I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts on that are. The only other thing I was going to point out is that Kawhi is still, no matter what we've seen, you know, with him playing, not playing, resting, he's still shooting 47% and been incredibly efficient. But I am I am puzzled puzzled by Kawhi's frustrations.
1: Timor, what are your thoughts? Uh, Before I give you my thoughts, I have one quick question for you, Liam. Who has more grit, the Philadelphia Flyers NHL mascot or this L.A. Clippers team? And I would definitely argue it is the Flyers mascot who is undoubtedly one of the the greatest mascots in terms of shenanigans and just causing havoc.
0: I would completely agree with you. I'm not seeing the grit in this liquor team i I don't know like it's a little bit of a tough guy outlook is what they you know out in front kind of look like they have, but then again, we're not seeing the results of that. Pat Beverly can you know talk as much smack as he wants, but they have a lot of work to do, and they haven't done anything yet as far as they have no trophies to show for. They have really no deep playoff runs to show for as a franchise. So I'm
1: going to have to go with the Flyers mascot. Yeah, that's a great choice. And I, I really want to go off of something you said there. And the, this Clippers team all regular season has kind of felt like they have just been entitled as a team that's almost won a dynasty. You know, they just haven't gone on this stretch where they look really, really impressive. And I think that's the part that makes us all hesitate. But on paper, they are probably theoretically the best team in the West. It's just we haven't seen it at all, so it's kind of hard to trust them with a lot of their players being ball stoppers with Marcus Morris and Lou Williams. And, you know, I I think this team has probably the highest ceiling of these teams, but we just haven't seen it in the regular season. And when it comes down to it, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't really trust them in the playoffs because – I mean, they have Kawhi, who's probably the best playoff player, but he, you know, he's he's starting to get it going now. You know, he's starting to finally look like himself, but it just has been very up and down for them all season long.
0: Absolutely. I mean, and no, I just looked in November, kind of going off of what you said as far as sustaining, you know, stretches of excellence. In November, they had one seven-game win streak. Since then, they have not had a – they've had one four-game win streak and nothing else as far as they've had – a couple three game and two game win streaks, but four is the longest streak of wins they put together. So, and I mean, looking at that four game stretch, that was Cleveland, uh, Orlando, New Orleans without Zion, and the Mavericks, alright. So they basically just beat up on three and a half bad teams. So I, I think you're right. There's something there as far as them needing to figure out how to sustain excellence. That was in January too. So. That's that's a great point. It's something you need to establish in the regular season before you can just replicate it. Timor, one question I have for you is: Can this team, as currently constructed right now, beat the Lakers in a four? Sorry, seven-game series.
1: Absolutely, but it's hard to trust it. You know, I, the cl- biggest question for the Clippers, and I feel, and you can obviously answer this, is who is going to guard Anthony Davis? You know, that is. I mean, for uh, for most teams, you could say this, but who's going to guard AD? You know, you're going to put Kawhi on LeBron or Paul George, and you're going to feel pretty good about that because those guys are great defensive players. But who do you put on AD? You know, I guess Marcus Morris and just have him kind of beat him up and try and wear him down over a seven-game series. But its I think that is tough for the Clippers. But then, again, on the other side, for the Lakers, I didn't mention this, but who guards Kawhi, you know? I mean, these these two teams have the best talent. So, if they play each other, it's going to be electric, and it's going to be a slugfest.
0: Yeah. I I think both ways it's going to have to be by committee. I I mean, maybe a little bit of Danny Green on Kawhi, Avery Bradley for maybe a tiny, but he's not quite big enough, but he's a good defender. And then the other way, Morris is a good one for a spell, Maybe Harold for a little bit. Like I think it's just going to have to be by committee. I don't, I think you're right. There's not one singular person that can manage such significant talents like that on either side. So awesome. We'll move forward to the Denver Nuggets who have been quietly in the mix for a top two seed. Right now, Jokic is you know their guy they they build everything around him they play around him so he actually leads them in points at 20.8 rebounds 10.0 per game and then assists 6.8 and field goal percentage actually at 53% so he's clearly their focal point their offense runs around him they need him to be great and in the games i've seen this year particularly the the, the tight games against playoff teams really thinking of the Lakers game right before the all-star break he was not as clean as he needed to be down the stretch and he kind of looked exhausted so in a seven game series my biggest question is can he be the best player in the series can he be the best player on the court i don't know i guess we're that's something we're going to find out um, but kind of breaking them down a little bit more as you kind of noted here jamal murray wasn't great last year in the playoffs he's going to need to be an aggressive shot maker and then gary harris they need a third player is it going to be gary is it going to be paul Millsap as he's finally getting healthy so who is that third
1: guy, Timo? What do you think? Yeah, that's a great question. And when we were preparing for this, I was, we were trying to get the best players from each team, and we were going with three players who the three impact guys. And we just could not come up with a third guy for this Nuggets team. And I think that's the biggest question for them: is who, when 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 things get hard and Jokic is being doubled and Jamal Murray isn't having a great game, who can step up in that moment and that. That's a very big question, and I, I really don't know how to answer that. But, you know, this team is very good, just like they were last year in the regular season. But, you know, they flamed down in the playoffs, and it's hard not to trust. It's hard to think that the same won't happen again. But I, I hope they make a deeper run with some of my friends in Colorado who'd like to see that. But yeah, it's it's hard to trust them right now. Couldn't agree more. Now,
0: as we kind of talk and kind of elaborate off of what you alluded to there. So they have, they have been very good and pretty consistent. But, you know, as we both know, unfortunately, very, very good is not always good enough to win a title. Sometimes you need to be excellent. And it's hard to know kind of where that very good stands. So that leads me to this question. Timor, what is this team's feeling? What is the absolute best version or farthest you could see them going in the playoffs? The farthest?
1: You know, I feel like I should give them more credit here. And I'm sorry, but probably the second round, honestly. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think it all really depends on Jokic and matchups. But I think for the Nuggets, you know, if if we're going to try and find teams that we think might – high-seeded teams who we want to try and argue could lose in the playoffs in the first round, I think the Nuggets would be – a leading category if the Mavericks actually play defense. But, you know, I, I just I think if, if if the Nuggets want to get out of the second round they're gonna need Jokic to just really take over and just assert his dominance and he can do that. But I think that'll be tough. So Yeah. I think they're a second round team, but if you know the two L A teams play in the second round, then yeah. They obviously can make it into the Western Conference Finals, but I would say second round is there. the furthest they would go.
0: Yeah, it's tough. I mean, looking at the standings now, and there's not really that many games left. I mean, it's between 20 and 30. There are different points, but right now they're the two seed. They're a game up on the, uh, the Clippers, who are the three seed. Two games up on the Rockets. I guess if the Rockets kind of jumped into that third spot, that's probably their best pass at the conference finals. But I'm with you. If they're stuck with an L.A. team in the second round, I, there's no way. They just the talent discrepancy is too big. But uh, we'll move forward to another team from that uh, part of the country, <laughs> the Utah Jazz. And they've been a little bit up and down, especially with Mike Conley trying to get integrated into the lineup. They're still sorting through that, you know, that starting five. Obviously Mitchell and Gobert have been cornerstone pieces, but who fills that out? Is it, is it Royce O'Neill? Is it Mike Conley? Is it Joe Ingold? Who, who is it? I don't, who else? I don't know. They're still sorting through that and they've, they've made a lot of changes. It's important that they kind of iron that out over these next few weeks. Uh, but looking into them a little deeper, I guess the biggest thing that stands out to me right now, they're a team that gets a lot of criticism for their offenses their offensive spacing and their offensive execution. Obviously, Donovan Mitchell is a very capable scorer, but when you're depending so heavily on him and your team's not making outside shots, it puts a lot of stress on him. And if Rudy Gobert cannot be playing in crunch time because teams are going small ball, then it will put even more stress on Donovan Mitchell. Uh, But looking at the numbers here, Right now they're giving up 111.1 points per game, which is 16th in the league. That stands out to me by far the most because they have the biggest defensive weapon in the entire world with Rudy Gobert, seven foot two. There is no reason they should be giving up 112 almost points per game with someone that effective that can alter that many shots. They should be a much better defensive team, and that needs to get sorted out in my mind more so than anything on the offensive side. Now moving a little deeper, obviously to depend on Donovan Mitchell. He's shooting about 46%, so pretty efficient. He's at a 31% usage rate. So again, they lean on him heavily. Then two things with Rudy Gobert I wanted to highlight. One, he has nine win shares, which is very, very high. It's more. It's basically more than double anyone else on this team, and it just shows how valuable he is and how much of a weapon he is with his size and frame. And when he's really, you know, in rhythm and in the flow and confident, asserting himself, he's a game changer. He's also a little bit inconsistently, but at times has been effective on the glass. He's averaging 14 and a half total rebounds a game. And then the last stat I really wanted to highlight was Mike Conley is at 12.7 TER. So as Timor mentioned in our last podcast, that's a bit below the league average. So that's a little bit alarming. Timor, what are your thoughts on this
1: you 2 this Utah Jazz team? The Jazz were a team coming into the season that looking at their pieces were like, man, this team, should be able to make a deep run into the playoffs and unfortunately for the jazz things just haven't gone their way and i think a lot of that i don't want to put it all on my comment but he really has not been playing well and there's been a big gap in his efficiency from the grizzlies and he just hasn't been the player that the jazz traded for and i i think it When it comes to the playoffs, unless Conley can turn it around, I think this team probably won't make it out of the first round. But, I mean, it depends who they match up with, of course. But, you know, the Jazz, as you said, they should be a great defensive team with Gold Bear. They've had a decent year, but it hasn't gone exactly according to plan. And, you know, I... For them to make a deep run, Mitchell is just going to have to really take a step up and kind of put the team on his back and put up a lot of points against whoever they end up playing in the playoffs. Yeah, I I
0: completely agree. He's going to have to continue to grow and develop, just like fellow third-year Tatum in the Eastern Conference. It's been interesting to see those guys, quite clearly, the best two out of that draft from a few years back. Because as we think back, Quick sidebar, the finalists for that Rookie of the Year were those two and Ben Simmons, and Ben Simmons was not their draft class because that dude missed the whole year and then was Rookie of the Year, which is still controversial in my mind. So, yes, I agree with you. Donovan Mitchell's going to have to continue to develop, and I think he's capable of it. But a couple of numbers that I kind of accidentally glossed over. So, as I mentioned with the lineups, the lineup of Bogdanovich, Mitchell, Gobert, Royce O'Neal, and Joe Ingles actually has the highest plus-minus of any single five, group of five in the NBA, of any combination, plus seventy-five, even more than any Bucks lineup, which is pretty mind-boggling with how dominant they've been. So and that's without Mike so, Conley, exactly. Without Mike Conley, that group has been so dominant. So that's why I'm, I'm curious how they will handle the the lineup situation because. Conley clearly has the pedigree to be in that group, but it just doesn't seem to have really clicked yet. Additionally, as I mentioned with Gobert, he is a weapon defensively, but he can also be a weapon offensively. They actually lead the league in screen assists with 12.5 a game. Big reason is because of that Rudy Gobert pick and roll. Can it be effective in crunch time? So this kind of leads me to my final question here for you, Timor can the Jazz play Rudy Gobert effectively in playoff crunch time?
1: That's a great question. And playoff basketball has seemed to be a very different from the regular season. And Gobert is incredibly important for them on defense. And obviously they need him out there as the defensive anchor for the team. But when it comes to the offensive side of the game, I think it's going to be tough for them to use him effectively. You know, he's it, Things just get more fickle, and it just seems in some of these playoff games that these big men just can't really get out there on the court. They just don't really seem like you can play them. So I I think I would hope for the Jazz that Colbert could get, you know, some great offensive efficiency in the playoffs. But, you know, without that, they're really going to have to rely on Donovan Mitchell, and I think that would be too big of an ask. So, I could see a roadmap for it, but, you know, I'm going to right now say I, I don't think so. But I, I would hope he does well. I obviously don't want, don't want anyone to play poorly. But uh, short answer, I don't think so at the moment.
0: Yeah, especially if they play the Rockets in the first round, which right now the Jazz actually dropped into the sixth spot, uh, the Rockets are the fourth. But uh, that's an interesting, you know, potential matchup to look out for. We'll move forward to those very. Houston Rockets, who have been on a little bit of a tear recently after that, some would say, shocking trade of their starting center, Clint Capella. But the Rockets are a bit of a statistical I, – I don't even know what to call them. They're just something. They're they're, they're something we've never seen before with their approach. They so make your now, eyes bleed? Yeah, yeah, that's one way. The, the the Red Rockets make a lot of things lead. <laughs> they're averaging 119 points a game, which is second in the league. 118.6 to be exact. Their opponents are scoring 114.2, which is 20 seconds. So clearly they're a score a lot, give up a lot team. And that reflects their offensive and defensive ratings as well. You know what you're getting with the Rockets as far as the type of game. It's a lot of ISO, early shots, not much ball movement. Yeah, a lot of bloody eyes. James Harden, he has been pretty unbelievable still. So he's his P E R is twenty nine point four. That's second in the league behind Giannis. His win shares are at an astonishing point of ten point nine win shares. Usage rate very high, thirty six point six. And he's shooting he's making a lot of threes, but he he's shooting a lot. He's shooting sixteen he has sixteen attempts for hundred possessions and he's shooting at a thirty basically a thirty six percent clip. Uh so he's shooting a lot but making a lot of high volume. And then one thing that you noted here that I think is significant is the emergence of Russell Westbrook getting back into form. Plus minus in February is actually 8.6, which is 6.4 points higher than it was in January. Timor, what, what have you thought of this new approach here with the, I almost called them the Mavericks. They're not the Mavericks, with the Rockets?
1: It's very interesting. I mean, everyone kind of crushes them, but they get, their decisions get results. No matter how painful it is to watch those results, you know, in the regular season, this team is just kind of crushing everyone because, you know, you, you, you're you going through the, your, your schedule and you can't really you know, game plan too much for a specific opponent, unlike in the NFL, you know. You, you kind of just have you, – you try to game plan, but it, it's hard, you know, in these games. You don't have as much time as in the NFL, so they can really surprise teams – You know, the big thing for the Rockets is the emergence of Russell Westbrook, as you said. He's been great since they've gotten – they traded Capella. He's pretty much been playing their, like, physical center, even though that doesn't make a lot of sense. And, you know, it's – the Rockets, the big question is, will this work in the playoffs? I would say no. You know, you're playing a team multiple times in a row, and with these taking tons and tons of threes – the math works out, but when they, when you get in those situations where the human psyche kind of gets involved a little bit more, it, it becomes more challenging to hit those. So I think that that's my overall big-picture look at the Rockets.
0: Yeah, Red Rocket. <laughs> yeah, it's no secret what they want to do with 50 per, 52% of their shots are three-pointers. Uh, they're gonna run and gun and shoot a lot of threes. They're actually six and two since the Capella trade. They're six and one with Harden and Westbrook on the floor. That one loss to Utah by one was also very controversial. They really have been almost flawless with this new duo. It's it's interesting and uh as I kind of think about how they're gonna approach things and what how unique they are, they're gonna create matchup nightmares, but they're also gonna create that on themselves. So, Timor, as you start to think about these potential playoff seedings, if you're them, are there certain teams you don't want to see, certain teams you do want to see, as you start to think about the potential playoff seedings and how it might fall for them?
1: Well, from an entertainment standpoint, I would like it to stay the way it is right now, where the Rockets play the Thunder. I think that would be a very entertaining matchup. you'd have CP3 going up against the Rockets, where there's potentially some bad blood between him and James Harden. And then you have Russell Westbrook going back to OKC, where there's going to be no bad blood. They're going to cheer him on. But they're also going to be rooting against him. That would be an incredibly interesting dynamic. Uh, For the Rockets, matchup-wise, I don't know how much of a high... I think if they could get a, a higher seed, like a three seed, or maybe even the two, since all these teams are so close together, I think being at home might be able to give the Rockets more confidence in their three-point shooting. But then again, that didn't work out for them so good in the playoffs. You know, the their, their two best guys, Russ, Westbrook and Harden, have kind of had some really bad playoff moments. So they're going to be looking to rectify that. I don't know how much their seeding really matters. I think if they could get a three or a two seed, that would be great. Uh, they obviously don't want to see the Lakers because who, who's going to guard AD? The Nuggets with Jokic. The Clippers want to be so bad. Thunder not so bad. Jazz Goldberg would be an issue. The Mavericks don't play defense. So that would be very interesting, actually, if they played each other and then they, they'd crush the Grizzlies.
0: The Grizz. Good stuff. Yeah. I'm just curious to see what happens with them. Like I hate watching them play. I'm just so curious to see how this experiment works out with the extreme small ball approach. But we'll move on to a slightly bigger approach with a 6-8 point forward leading the charge. We got the Dallas Mavericks and newly tw- 21 and probably very hungover Luka Doncic. In fact, I just saw that they are in Miami currently as we're recording here on a Friday night. And last night, Luka turned 21. In Miami, a city known for its opportunities in the adult life, <laughs> that was poorly. Let's checked. just
1: say he partied. <laughs>
0: yeah, and he is currently listed as questionable, so he must be really hungover. Uh, but Luca has been phenomenal this year. The 21-year-old is shooting 47% from the field. Luca is shooting 47% from the field. He's shooting a lot of threes. He's making a decent amount at 33%. So he's shooting 13.4 attempts per 100 possessions. He is averaging 8.6 assists, which is third in the NBA. And his PER is point, 29.1, which is also third in the NBA. 37.3 usage rate. So they really depend on him. He does a lot in as far as facilitating the offense from kind of a point-forward spot. Now, for me, and my biggest concern and focus here is with Porzingis because I, I'm not sure he's really playing the role he's cut out to play. He's almost kind of just a floor stretcher, a seven foot floor stretcher, They're not really getting him many paint touches because it's not what's going to clear the most space for Luca. It's almost like a Kevin Love with the Cavs type role, which, you know, is not really getting the most out of him. So I'm kind of curious to see how that evolves and moves forward. But Luca has been phenomenal. I guess, Timor, what are your thoughts on this team so far?
1: Yeah, but this team has been. Interesting, just to see Luca emerge as a star in this league, and he's really just taking a big step up, and he's been playing great. You know, I've made a few jokes at their expense, so far about their defense, but you know, I think I think that's a, a bit understandable because you know their biggest pieces are young guys, who and scoring is more uh, cool, glorious than playing defense. Yeah, I think for this team, it's the future and getting these guys some playoff minutes is what's important. You know, they don't want to, you know, this year they're not going to be going to the finals most likely. So I think it's all about their future and it's looking bright with the building block piece in the star of Luka Doncic. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up their offensive
0: and defensive approaches because if we go off of ratings, I should have mentioned they're first in the league offensively in the offensive rating and defensive rating 19th. So it's clearly, it's very clear what they are prioritizing and focusing on with their approach. Now, Team more my question for you is: Luke has been so unbelievable. He's so young. Who in the league, if you were going to do a, a fantasy draft just to create a team for this year's title, who in the league would you rather have than him? I mean, probably Giannis, probably LeBron, but. Are there other people? Is there anyone else? I don't even know. Where? I guess who would you rather
1: have than him? It's a pretty short list. I think it would go something along the lines of Kawhi, LeBron, Giannis, Taco Fall, and <sighs> shortly followed by Jason Tatum. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> I it would It would go – it would definitely I, – I, I think you'd need you to take Luca, Luca Ford. He's just been – Absolutely incredible. And, you know, but to be honest, he, he in the playoffs, you know, he like things just change and he's going to be in the bright light and he's going to be playing against some of the best players in the world. You know, the, the, the way things stand now, I could see a world in which they upset the Nuggets. That's highly unlikely. But if they got to the second round, like if you're building a team with Luka as your main piece, you know, getting to the second round would be... A, a big accomplishment because once you get there, you know you're gonna probably be playing, you know, the Lakers, the Clippers, and those teams are just so much. You would just, you you would be able to get Luca to see like how seriously those guys take it, and I think that would be huge. So to answer your questions, I would to I would have him fourth, in my building blocks for a playoff team.
0: Where would you have uh- That's pretty remarkable. I'd I'd probably have him fourth. I think there's probably an argument for AD. I I don't know who else. Like, I think the only other argument is AD. Yeah, I I don't know. And the other other hard factor for that question, of course, it's the question I posed, and I'm going to poke a hole in my own question. But as you said, he hasn't been in the playoffs yet, and it's a completely different animal. I think it would be – I think I would take him fifth. I think it would throw AD ahead of him. Yeah, I think that's where I would take him. But um, he's been impressive, and I'm I'm really curious to see how they fare in this first playoff run for him. I'm I'm really excited to see his first playoff game. We'll move forward here to the Oklahoma City Thunder, the last game we're going to preview. So they are definitely the biggest surprise of this group. They are surprisingly only scoring 111 points per game, which is actually 17th in the league. they're kind of just gritting these games out, whether it's SGA or Chris Paul, who's really playing at an all-NBA level. Collectively, they're shooting between them about 47% from the field. So two guards that have not always been score first are this year, and it's really propelling them. And they have some other young pieces as well. They've really just built around the two guards, though. So, Timo, what what has stood out the most for you with this young Thunder team?
1: I think the biggest surprise has been, Chris Paul just being and playing at an All Star level and playing just incredibly well. You know, last year coming out of the playoffs, everyone was kind of crushing CP3 for not playing so well. And the Thunder, Houston Rockets, decided to trade Westbrook for him. And I'm just it's it's been great seeing CP3 play and you know give some leadership to Shadou Alexander, who is the building piece for the Thunder. And besides those two guys, it's it's crazy how well this team has played. You know, they don't have, you know, those wings players that you'd like to see that you feel confident with. You know, they, this is just a team that really plays well together with those two great point guards. And, you know, it's just, they've been very surprising at how well they've done. I'm, they've been probably the best, you know, story as terms of success besides the Toronto Raptors?
0: I think I think that's a great point. And I remember a couple of years back, 2016, the conference finals were Warriors-Thunder and Cavs-Raptors. And at one point, both the Thunder and the Raptors had won a couple straight, and it was looking like we might get a Thunder-Raptors final. Now, that's probably not going to happen this year, but – it was just the last time I think that these two pleasantly surprised us pretty simultaneously. So it really shows how unbelievable both of their front offices have been. That just a few years later, after the departure of SNP and players, they're quickly retooling in different in different ways. It really shows strong front offices, and that these teams will probably be around in some capacity for a long time, as far as their relevance. Now, Timor, I have a question for you. I, obviously, it's gonna grow and evolve over time, kind of depending on the career arc here on the back half for both Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook, but about half the year out, who do you think won the trade between, you know, Russell Westbrook and Chris Paul? The Rockets or the Thunder? I guess, which end would you rather be on?
1: Half a year out? Yeah. I don't know how hot thank this is, and I don't know if you're going to agree with me, but I'd rather be the Thunder, man. Damn man. I think that was a great trade for them. They got Chris Paul, even though his contract's not very good. But he's completely great for them, and they can trade him next year after having such a great year and get more back than they would have this year. And they got a bunch of protected first-round picks from the Rockets. And the OKC does have so many freaking picks. And I think that's really important for them because let's let's be honest here. Let's have an honest conversation it, in this, in this NBA, if you're a free agent, you're like, you know what? I'm disgruntled. I want to find a new team. Who's going to be like, oh, yeah, well, trade me to OKC. That's where I want to be. Not not many people, if I'm going to be honest. People are going to be mad at me. Oh, well. So, you know, you have to get those picks. You have to lock those guys there. You have to be like, hey, UNB's going on a date. That's the end of the story, you know? <laughs> so I would say that okc won this trade but (laughs) i will be proven so wrong if the rockets just go and win a title because obviously then the rockets won the trade
0: i think they both have improved in some capacity Um, but i think you made great points especially with the draft picks and sga sga was a big pickup now obviously you didn't go from the rockets to the thunder um, but still significant Moving forward here, that was our NBA Western Conference, not playoff preview because that'll come later, but our breaking down the contenders here with about a third of the season to go. So, Timor, we'll move on to our segment here. First with Spice Bites. This week's edition is with VAR, Video Assistant Referee, the first video review technology in soccer or football, depending on what you call it. So here, first, Timor, what is your bell pepper take
1: regarding VAR? Now, VAR, as with all is3 plays, is a controversial idea, but, you know, I think it's great for offside reviews if it's used correctly. Now, I have to put that conditional on there because this is my bell pepper. I'm not going to say it works all the time. But when players are moving as fast as they are and you can go back and say, hey, that guy was 10 feet off sides, that goal shouldn't have counted. I think that's great. It'll let the referees not blow play dead when they're not sure, and they can go back. So I think it's a good system, especially for offsides. It can be frustrating, though, when a guy's left toenail is over the line and they say he's outside. But, you know, that's something to quibble with later.
0: Yeah, there, there's always going to be controversies, but objectively, it should be a good approach for that. I agree. And for me, my bell pepper, if you look up Bard's philosophy and their approach and their their selling point, if you will, especially as they were trying to become the standard, is in quotes, Minimal interference, comma, maximum benefit. Now, after some of the controversies and a lot of lengthy reviews, let's just say that that philosophy is a bold-faced lie. Is it gonna be more effective in certain ways, especially if they can tighten it up, especially with offside, with it being so clear cut in most circumstances? Yes, but has it been minimal interference? Absolutely not. And has it been maximum benefit? No. So my bell pepper take is their philosophy is absolute garbage. Now, we'll move on. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Moving on to the habanero. Timor, what is your habanero take?
1: This is kind of a big picture instant replay take. But does anyone really know what clear and undisputed evidence is? Leah, do you even know? I'm going to be honest, I don't. Because it, it, it seems to take on a different meaning for every single game you watch, man. And I think that's the most frustrating thing with instant replay. It's just there's no sense of consistency of when they're going to go to the replay booth. You know, me and my dad were watching Golovinovari versus Fenerbahce, the premier rivalry in Turkey, and there were two penalty kicks that weren't even looked at at VAR, the and they were pretty questionable calls. So I, it's just, what is clear and undisputed? What does that even mean? Does anyone know? I would love to find out that answer because I would venture that nobody really knows what that statement means. I think it's
0: a great point. Can anything ever get to a point where it's undisputable? I don't. I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, <laughs> so I mean, maybe you could even like, argue
1: like one plus one equals one point nine 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 repeating. You know. <laughs> <laughs> True.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a good habanero. My habanero. Recently there was a hotly contested Premier League match between Wolverhampton and Liverpool. A Liverpool team that's trying to, you know, stay well they're well in front of everyone else in the Premier League standings but they're trying to stay unbeaten and they scored a goal that was a VAR con- con- controversy, controversy, and it was eventually ruled a goal for Liverpool. I'm sorry. It was eventually a goal that was taken away for Wolverhampton, so it benefited Liverpool. And a Wolves player, Connor Cody, approached the ref, and it was caught on audio him saying, asking the ref, who was offside? And the ref, you could hear it on the audio, said, I don't know, VAR told me. So this is my, not just mine, as this was brought to my attention, but this is, clearly an issue that the central referee of the game has no idea what the actual call is. It's someone from many miles away calling it in. So My my thing with VAR, one of the things I had guessed that I want to establish with VAR is that it should be handled by people within the stadium. If someone else wants to look at the monitor other than the center ref, maybe there's kind of that argument, but it should be something that the center ref is understanding why he's making the call. Because he's the one that's running the game so that that just does not seem right to me this should be handled within the stadium but we'll move on to that a little bit of take. <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe it was a little bit of a lukewarm take but it was just interesting how the ref literally didn't know what happened he just was listening to VAR so we'll move on to the Trinidad Scorpion Timor what is your take <sighs> okay.
1: okay now this is a very silly idea but I think it would be absolutely hilarious, especially with the way soccer players interact with the referee. But the referees should have to watch the VAR replay on an iPad, like the NFL refs do, with all of the angry players around them shouting at them. I think we need to find a way to make instant replay more fun. You know, after three replays, Everyone's like, okay, we get it. What is, What the heck is taking you guys so long? That guy was 10 feet off size. Why are you still standing there after 20 minutes? What would make that more fun is watching soccer players in a an angry circle around the referee, gesturing, doing all the great things we love with soccer around the referee, and just making that process more entertaining to watch. I don't think – I just think everyone would be in favor of this – and it would just make the VAR process more fun for everyone involved.
0: I can tell you that sounds like great television. That would be the the drama we're really looking for. I think the only people that would be against that would be the referees. But, you know what, maybe they can just get a slight raise or something. But that sounds like great television to me. Now, my Trinidad Scorpion take, look, there are definitely our benefits to VAR, and I hope that they can iron out a more efficient, way to utilize it but right now with the verbiage and the way everything's kind of run i and and the inconsistency is the biggest thing i think that bar right now would be more accurate if the center ref just center ref just went into a tent picked up a magic eight ball and asked is the player offside shook it and just listened to the magic eight ball i think that would genuinely be more accurate this is a genuine take i i seriously think that a magic eight ball would be more consistent
1: that's it. Maybe we should combine it. Maybe, <laughs> I think we should just combine our ideas together, where the ref brings out the eight ball, the fourth official brings out the eight ball to midfield, and all the players gather around it, and the ref asks, was that a foul? And they all wait to see the answer. <laughs> now, now, Liam, if if the magic eight ball doesn't ask yes or, answer yes or no, does he ask the question again until he gets that binary answer?
0: Ooh. I guess I guess you have to. Or do you Or
1: do you do like a drop ball if it's like ask again later, you know? We, we gotta unwrap.
0: Yeah, it's like a jump ball in basketball. Yeah. Or like a possession arrow. They yeah. just take turns. Well that's our spice spice about var. The very controversial current video review technology in soccer. I can guarantee you they're gonna reevaluate the current way it is utilized. I think it can be a, a tool that is used more for value than not. I just think they need to work through a few things. And again, it is the first implementations here. Still, they're still figuring out the best way to utilize it and it's still early. So I'm not, I don't mean to say it will never work because I doubt that. But definitely some valid takes that we have and some spicy ones. And I hope that we get to see angry players yelling at a ref watching the screen. <laughs> but we'll move forward to Beer of the week. Imor, what's your beer of the week? So my beer of the week,
1: now I I, kind of went off the rails last week, so I'm going to write myself in. I'm going to go with the breakfast gel from Founders, 8.3 percentage, and it has 60 bitterness rating, which is a lot more than the negative bitterness rating I gave Nanny Light, so this is a double chocolate coffee oatmeal stout. Now that is a absolute mouthful. You got a lot of flavors in this one, and you know, for me, I'm not usually a person who likes a lot of sugar with their beer. You know, it kind of just takes away from the taste. I want to taste the hops. I want to taste. I really, I, just, I don't want to taste sugar, man. It's just that's kind of a, a no go zone for me. But with this, it's a stout, so that kind of gets tossed out the window. And I didn't really taste all those different flavors when I had it, but I'm sure those with a finer taste bud would be able to find those flavors. You know, with the coffee, I have a very low tolerance to coffee. I get super hyper, so bouncing around a lot. But, you know, it's all good. So I would give this a 4 out of 5. You know, i very biased towards stouts. It's hard for me to not like them. But, you know, this is a, a good one and I would recommend it. So it was started in Grand Rapids, Michigan in 1997. In 2000, Founders was on the verge of bankruptcy, but they were able to climb out, and they're still around today. They have tap in Detroit and in Michigan. So if you're around those areas, feel free to check them out. For some reason, I thought this was an Irish company until I... <laughs> I uh, started uh, researching them and found out they were from Michigan. Maybe it's just because of the the stout, but you know that's that's what I got. I like I like the breakfast stout a lot. It's a very high quality beer,
0: and this is maybe a little bit dark, but I guess that beer was too, and mine will be as well. Uh, But it's pretty rare to see something you know in the Detroit area climbing out of a dark spot. So uh good job on them.
1: <laughs> Ford, Ford Ford couldn't do it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Founders did what Ford couldn't do. Climbed out of just complete utter disaster. But I'll stay in the in the Great Lakes region here with mine and I will stay in the with with the dark beer within the, the Great Lakes region. So for me, my beer of the week is the blackout stout. Oh, It is from Great Lakes Brewing. It is 9.9% alcohol. So, wow, you better look out. 50 IBUs. So the Blackout Stout is a Russian Imperial Stout. Yes, it hits hard. Is, is it hitting, like, some of the molecules in Pripyat? Probably not. Not quite that hard, but... Those invisible box Yeah, those will make you blackout too, if you have too much, but... Um, This is a different type of Russian imperial stout. The name really tells the story here. At least that's what I thought. You know, you think heavy alcohol, high alcohol percentage. But actually, this was named for something else. In 2003, there was the infamous North American blackout where 55 million people were left without power. And that's what this beer is named after. Just kind of an interesting nugget. I also have never seen IBU to ABV ratio. Usually, the IBUs are a lot higher than the percentage. Obviously, it's higher here, but 50 IBUs to basically 10%, basically, it's low on the bitterness scale for how high of a percentage it is. That's my biggest take. As far as the flavor goes, it's incredibly boozy, but so tasty. Very, dull, very dark, malty, and rich. It's like this black malt where that meets a little bit of roastiness. Honestly, it's one of my favorite be- beers and one of my favorite dark beers. My senior year of college, it was really one of my go-tos. Now, a little bit more about Great Lakes. So, Great Lakes Brewing started in 1988 in Cleveland, Ohio. It was founded by two brothers, Patrick and Daniel Conway. Great Lakes Brewing was the first brew pub and first microbrewery in Ohio. It literally helped rejuvenate the economy in Cleveland, particularly on the west side of Cleveland. Another little nugget that I hold especially close to home because of my Cleveland roots and my rooting interest with the Cleveland Cavaliers, they made The Wit is Over a beer commemorating the Cleveland Cavaliers 2016 NBA title that ended the city's 50 52-year year title drought. I give the Blackout Stout a 4.5 out of 5. It is a must-try, especially if you like dark beer. That's our Beer of the Week. Yeah, and I forgot to mention this as well. Their tap room, the only one right now, and I don't think they're going to change this. They're just going to continue to expand it, is in Cleveland, Ohio, and one that I sadly have somehow not been to yet. So that's obviously right near the top of my list probably for the summer. But that's our Beer of the Week segment. So, we'll move forward here. Uh That's all we had planned, Dean and I. Moving forward, a couple things to look out for on the docket. Not sure if we're going to discuss them in detail or how we'll approach them, but just a couple things around the world of sports and entertainment. First thing I wanted to mention, so, I have never watched The Bachelor until this year. And I've always been kind of against it in a way. Not against it, but it's just not really been my cup of tea. Bachelor, bachelorette, bachelor in paradise, whatever. And then my roommates and some of my friends from college decided, you know, Mondays, we're going to sit down and watch it. It'll be a little bit of a way to reconnect and hang out. And initially, I, I really didn't like it. It was just a little bit too cringy for me. And then all of a sudden, I find myself hooked. And I don't know why, but I just can't stop listening to podcasts about it and reading about it and watching it, of course. The drama has just kind of hooked me in. So maybe give give the show a try if if you're someone that hasn't checked it out. I don't know. Another thing on the docket, the MLS starts tomorrow. I read today in an article that someone predicted, I'm not saying who, actually, I, I would say who, but I can't remember, that the MLS would overtake La Liga and the Premier League by 2045. Now, that is a serious stretch could the sport of soccer would just have to be completely rejuvenated, even more so in this country, for that to happen. But I just thought it was interesting. Something to look out for as well is the NFL Combine and the UEFA Champions League. There's been a couple of surprising results. at Letico with a 1-0 win over Liverpool in leg one. Can they upset Liverpool? Can City hold on to Madrid, to Real Madrid before they are knocked out of the Champions League for a couple of years? more of those things, what are you looking at, you know, or most excited to check out?
1: Well, wow, I'm most surprised by the Bachelor talk dude wow i that that it took me through a loop, but you know it's that show can suck you in, you know you got in pilot, many ways, right <laughs> yeah, you got, yeah you got the girls who go by their first name and last initial, then you don't really know their last name for some reason that' that's shocking i mean i I think back in the summer when I was in middle school. We put on The Bachelor, and you get you get sucked in, and it's very interesting to watch, and a lot of people really like it. So you know, you join you in good company, but <laughs> yeah, uh, the
0: mainstream public.
1: Yeah, maybe you could you could fill fill us in, but I was uh, <laughs> shocking to Pete, and uh, you know, for the MLS, let's go Atlanta. We're very biased yeah. towards that team. Yeah. Uh, NFL combine stuff. Joe Burrow apparently has small hands. Just kidding. And Ch- Champions League. That that Man City story is developing, and we'll see. You know what happens with them, but it could be potentially uh, a long-term ban for them um, of two years. But we'll see what happens there. So those, that's a, all I have for all that stuff.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm, I guess one other thing, I'm curious to see if we get a DK Metcalf standout with the NFL Combine, someone that just physically is clearly going to be an athlete and going to find a home somewhere. One of those NFL Draft Combine heroes. I'm curious to see who stands out in that sense. But that's all we got for this episode. Thank you to everyone for listening. Kimo, where can people hit us up?
1: G&L podcast at gmail.com. And I will put it in the description of the episode. Awesome, well that's all for today.